ingenuity and strength into the heat of the battle and falling flat on our face because of our unwillingness to come and cling to the Lord. Today, we reach a sort of a turning point in the book of Daniel. Uh, I guess it was right after Easter, we began the second portion of our study. We began chapter one way back in January, and then we've reached the prophecy section, and it's called Fulfilled, this part of our study. And we're in the home stretch, so to speak, likely about three other messages or studies after today. Uh, but what chapters 10 through 12 form is one last long vision that the prophet has. And basically, the vision is contained in chapter 11, and the working of it out, or the final words and explanation of it are in chapter 12, but the preparation for receiving the vision is our study today in chapter 10. And as we look at chapter 10, we're going to talk about how God gets us ready to hear Him. There is a process sometimes. Do you ever feel like God is sort of knocking on the door of your heart and trying to get your attention and, and coming towards you, moving in on you, closing in on you with something He desperately wants you to note and hear for your spiritual life? But oftentimes there's so many clogged spiritual antennas in our life and we're not hearing from God because we're either eating spiritual junk food or we're just numb to him and we're busy with our own agenda. Well today God definitely prepares and readies Daniel and by looking at his life we can sense uh, some of the things we need to, to be ready to hear from God. I want to first of all read verses 1, 2, and 3 of Daniel chapter 10. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no, no, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Now, they're telling you about the vision that will be in chapter 11 in verse 1. And it says that the vision involves a great war. That will be the content. It will describe a war at the end of time uh, in chapter 11. But there's also another war going on, and that's a war inside of Daniel's heart. In, chapter, in verse 2 and 3, he described a very difficult time in his life. And, and most agree that he is likely weeping for the people of Israel. Um, the 70 years of captivity were up. The Jews were free to journey into their homeland. And scholars say about 50,000 Jews left and went back to Jerusalem and began to rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple. The books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell those stories. Yet there were thousands, and Daniel included, that remained in Babylon. Maybe Daniel felt that he was too old to make the journey. He's in his mid-80s. We know in central Florida that is not old. Uh, but maybe he felt in that day and age it was. It could be that he felt very burdened for the spiritual care of those Jews remaining in Babylon. But regardless, he stayed there. But the word he got back was that things weren't going so well. The enemies of Israel were trying to stop the rebuilding of the wall. And some Jews themselves 
didn't like the leadership of Nehemiah or Ezra, and they began to taunt them and slow things down. Some reports got back saying that the spiritual life, the worship of Yahweh, uh, had gone limp for those that returned, which was the whole problem in the first place. Regardless of the specifics of the content, Daniel got a bad report, and his heart broke. It was like he went through a three-week period of darkness where all he could do was fast and pray and call out to God and weep. Some of you have been there. Maybe some of you are there. Maybe some of you have been in a much longer period of just intense spiritual battle and, and maybe a dark night of the soul. Or maybe it was a time that was a highlight for you, though it was not easy. And Daniel is going through that. And, and part of what God is doing Number one on your outline is he works his compassion in us when God gets us ready to hear him. He's deeply concerned about someone else. And in our culture where everything's about us, our agenda, our life, our needs, our name, we need a fresh work of the compassion of God in our hearts. As Stephen mentioned, and it was great to hear about his wonderful opportunity in New York, and as he mentioned, we got a, a team of 12 came in last night and uh, or late yesterday afternoon from Sierra Leone and thank you for those of you that were praying for our team it was a, we could sense and feel your prayers uh, in the West African country uh, where air conditioning is as foreign as we were and um, it it was great to be there of course great to come back as well but we one of the the highlights of the week and we'll sh- we'll have a report and a, maybe a video and some pictures and testimonies uh, next week or the week after likely but one of the highlights of the week was to get to meet some of the godliest people we've ever met i mean incredible examples of humility and sacrifice and care one of them was a a worker that we stayed at his home uh on the first night and then on the last couple of nights and his name was pastor jacob he and his wife fatu they have four of their own children Yet they started an orphanage. Uh, they have 21 or 22 now. They, they collected another child while we were there. Uh, they have, so they have 26 kids under their care that live there. And, and, a, and a li- very little other help. A few uh, folks from the church come and help, and a few uh, older kids are there. But there's no registration like we have the Child Protective Services and the, the state uh, regulations of adoption and those issues. He, can, he basically goes to his home village whenever he has an opening, goes and sees if there's any kids there that are malnourished or not cared for or their parents are too poor or someone wandering the street, and he talks to someone if he needs to and says, hey, I'd like to take this kid back to my orphanage. Are you all okay with that? And they all say, yes, because he puts them in school and feeds them and tries to get them an opportunity to go to, the univers- to a university there in Sierra Leone. And, and the compassion just oozes out of this person with no thought to his own, um, seem, seemingly his own needs. And occasionally they run short in the orphanage and they don't eat as much as they would like to. And the kids say, you know what, I, well, God will provide for us maybe uh, dinner tonight or maybe a meal the next day. It, it just blew my mind. There was a baby, that baby Elijah, that I'll show you his picture uh, soon, that uh, came while we were in another location, they accepted a, an, a three-month-old baby. Cutest baby you've ever seen. And his mother had died um, a, a week ago, and he was three months old. And, 
uh, someone asked, heard of Pastor Jacob's orphanage and asked if he would take it, and with great joy he took him, and all the, the 12, 13-year-old orphans were caring for this baby, and it, it was heartbreaking to see the conditions, and we got to sleep there, and uh, we were uh, our own comfort, and uh, you know, first world vanities were pushed and pressed, but these uh, brave, loving believers in Jesus who abandoned their own cares and seek to care for others, ministered richly to our souls. And, and Daniel is weeping and hurting for other people, we find in verse 2 and 3. And it's refreshing to say, you know what, I just stopped and I did business with God. I, I prayed and I, I wasn't concerned about me and, and taking care of myself. And uh, the reference to lotions was something that accustomed that in joyous times you just, you took care of yourself. You put on fresh clothes, you freshened yourself up. And he took a break from the, the eating that we so give ourselves to time and time again. And you know, do you need a fresh work of compassion in you? Have you gotten to the place where it's hard to think of anyone else other than yourself? You know, a verse that I pray when I regularly feel that I need a, a deeper sense of God's love for other people is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul prayed that your love would increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. So ask God for that overflowing sense of His love for other people. A second principle we see in this passage today about how God gets us ready to hear Him is number two on your outline, and that's this. He gives us respect for the holy. And so that three-week period is over, and verses four through eight tell of a bizarre experience that the prophet had. It, you're going to feel like you're reading out of a science fiction novel for a moment, but this is Bible. On the 24th day, verse 4, of the first month, I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris. I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen, with a belt of the finest gold around his waist. His body was like crystallite, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of a burnished bronze, and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision, but the men with me, the men with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone. Gazing at this great vision, I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Wow. I mean, he's completely undone by this vision. So the three weeks are over, and you think after three weeks of fasting and doing business with God, he's ready for some refreshment. He's ready for something else. We were uh, deep, we were extremely hot uh, while we were gone in terms of just the temperature. You just wake up, in, you wake up in a pool of sweat and sweat throughout the day and hope that you uh, don't offend your brothers uh, by your odor. And... Um, we went to a place that had weak living conditions and was a very poor um, city or village, but it had one of the most beautiful white sanded beaches that you've ever seen in your life. Uh, that, we, that We were basically there for about 10 minutes and the boys in our group just jumped into this beautiful water and just swam. And it was 
so refreshing after a very difficult few days. And Daniel sort of, he sort of needed to just jump into some refreshing waters. Instead, he faces a sight that so terrified him, the Bible described it as his face became deathly pale. I mean, not just any kind of pale, it was the pale of death. And now, can you blame him? We would have to say no. Uh, the, the description in verse 5 about his, or in 6, about his body and his face, lightning in his eyes, of torches and his, the bronze, and his, when he spoke, it sounded like a multitude of people speaking. Now, interestingly enough, we don't know what this awesome person said. Those who were with him didn't see it, but apparently they heard it. Maybe they also felt it, and they were gone. <laughs> he had some companions with him after his fast on his little walk by the sea, and they're out of there. He's left on his own, and he just falls flat on his face. He is basically in awe of what he sees. Now, a little bit of uh, detail housekeeping as to what the, the, it's another unnamed character in verse 6. There's been debate about who, what this is. And since the Bible does not tell us who this is, it would probably be wise not to be overly dogmatic about who it is. There's some that insist this was a theophany, which, or a Christophany, which is a, a pre-incarnate Old Testament appearance of Christ. We've seen some other Christophanies in the book of Daniel. Likely, you remember the fourth man in the fire in the story in chapter 3? That's likely a reference to Christ coming beside and around his people in the midst of a very difficult time. That has sometimes been the majority position, although one of the reasons people are pulling away from that, and to me it doesn't make the best sense to interpret it that way, is because in just a few verses we find that this awesome being this image of this person wrestled with a demon for three weeks as well and a, a demon basically detained this being doesn't sound like something that our lord and savior would have to struggle with so i say it's likely not a christophany it's probably um, an angelic being that it could be uh michael it, 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 you know, we, we've seen Gabriel a couple of different times, but we know those things don't matter all that much. This is a very great detailed description of this other world being. All we know that it, it emanates something that is heaven-like, that is God-like, and Daniel stood in awe of it. Yes, it was the kind of awe that went beyond respect and went to terror, but it was certainly a divine, holy moment. You know, have, have you ever felt that God was, wouldn't let you get away with anything? <laughs> that God's, Lord, just almost sandpapering you to the bone. That's what he's doing to Daniel. And it wasn't like Daniel was much of a backslider. You'd seen this great man of faith that had seen God do so much in his life, but guess what? God wasn't finished. He gave him a three weeks without eating so he could pray and then he shows him this vision. Just know that if you feel like God is going overtime, working in you, and that you feel like your life compared to a bunch of other scalawags you know, 
hey, God, go work on them for a while. I hear them cuss all the time. <laughs> go work on them, God. They don't tithe. <laughs> go work on them. They watch r- really raunchy movies. No, God was working right on Daniel and saying, not only do you need to pray, you need to be in awe of who I am. He gave them a respect for the holy. Well, in verse 9 through 11, you see a, a moving side to this story. It, it says, then I heard him speaking. As I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. That would be the preferable thing to happen to you, <laughs> for you just to fall asleep. Lord, I'm just going to knock out for a while, and when you're done with all this frightening things, wake me up. And in verse 10, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said, Daniel, you are highly esteemed. Consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Now, in verse 11, he says, you are highly esteemed. The word esteem means to be regarded or thought well of. In 923, a vision we looked at a few weeks ago, Daniel is also told there that he is beloved. He is deeply beloved by God. In verse 19 of chapter 10, we'll see later, he's once again esteemed. He's he's thought well of by God, by the heavenlies. He's loved. Similar words that we find written about us as believers in Ephesians 1, 6, that we are beloved in Christ. We are loved by God. A similar word that was found from the heavens speaking to Jesus at his baptism. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. My beloved son, I care for him so deeply. I told you about that little baby, Elijah, and I asked the pastor's son, who was a 12-year-old, I said, what do you think of baby Elijah? And he said, oh, I love him so much. He'd only known him a few days, and he said, I love him so much. It just touched me to hear about a brother talking about an orphaned new brother of his and how deeply he loved him. You know, all of us need... Not just to hear that we matter, but he got to be touched by God himself. Touched by an angel is a de facto touched by the living God. And that's what Daniel experienced. Maybe you're here today and you're going through some deep waters and you just need to be reminded, not in a cliche way, but in a real live touched of God way that he really does care for you. He proved it by sending his son to the cross, but today what we need to experience is what Daniel experienced, number three on the outline, and that's that he touches us with his love. Some of you are high-touch people, and some of you, your least favorite time of the week is when one of the pastors here says, all right, go around and shake hands, and you're looking for the door or wishing this would be over because you, you're kind of a no-touchy kind of person. We're all wired differently in our makeup and our experiences, and, but all of us, whether you like to be touched in a physical, appropriate way or not, all of us need the touch of the living God. One of the traditions in uh, much of Africa, and it also is in Sierra Leone, that you'll see men, not in a homosexual way, but you'll see men holding hands with each other on the street and just swinging their arms. And, uh, and several men grabbed my hand and wanted to walk around. And, you know, Pastor Cliff doesn't really roll that way back in the States. <laughs> so I, look, I looked for a way to sort of politely find a way to, you know. 
But this morning, I really believe God wants to touch you and pull you back to himself and remind you that you are his beloved. Some of you are like the, the psalmist, that you refuse to be comforted. It says in Psalm 77 too, my soul refuses to be comforted. And God wants to remind you of his love, remind you of the cross, but God is, is reaching out to you, but you're pushing away his love. Well, as if the story could get any more bizarre for Daniel's experience, now we hear more, uh, now we hear what the angel, the angelic being is, is telling him. We didn't, we don't know what he initially said, but then it says, then he continued. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your gods, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. <laughs> By the way, have you ever had an unanswered prayer? You weren't sure why God wasn't listening? Wouldn't you love to have an angel say up, hey, I am your answer. I always heard you, and now I uh, God has sent me in response to them. But in verse 13 it says, But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Now, I know it's summer and school's out for the summer, but... Let's put on our math caps for a moment. If you look back in verse 2, how long was Daniel mourning and praying? It says three weeks. And then in, in verse 13, how long uh, had this angelic being been wrestling with the, what's called the Persian, the prince of the Persian kingdom? 21 days. Isn't that the same thing? <laughs> Seven times three, yeah, okay. 21 days. So maybe you weren't a math major, but you can figure out that. And guess what's going on? Daniel's praying, fasting, and weeping for his people Israel. At the same time, unbeknownst to him, there was a spiritual battle going on in the heavenly realms that he could not see. Pretty awesome, isn't it? Maybe God has just gotten your attention. Hey, put away the, the, the book tonight. Put away the, the remote control. I, I want to do business with you. You don't know why? It's not your habit to be that intense, but all of a sudden God's just closing on you and you're calling out to him. You know what? You never know what's going on in the spirit world, in the heavenly kingdom that God is wanting to get your attention. So I say be sensitive. I say be obedient to what God is laying on your heart because there could be some divine spiritual battle going on and he wants to ready you. He wants to prepare you for this battle. But what this principle is in verses 12 through 14 is this, that he readies us for spiritual warfare. Now, in verse 13, it, your version might say the, some of the words, the prince of Persia. This says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. This is likely a reference to a demon. We're told in uh, Matthew 25, verse 41, that hell has been prepared for the devil and his angels. The devil has some dark, rogue angels in other places called demons that are his assistants. And it seems, contextually, that there was a particular demon that was assigned to Persia, referred to as the Prince of Persia, that did battle with this angelic being. 
We don't know what the battle looked like. We don't know if they were just clanging into each other or there was some type of spiritual warfare that involved prayers, that involved curses, that involved some type of... We don't know much about what the angelic and demonic forces do when they go to war with each other. It's above us. But we do know that it is a very real thing. And so A, under number four, is that we must be alert to the very real, unseen spiritual world. There's a real battle going on it's not against we, we 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 make war against people and god told us it's not against flesh and blood that there are spiritual forces in the heavenly realm that's why we're told in first peter 5 8 to be alert and self-control because your enemy the devil he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour Yes, there can be outlandishness that goes with spiritual warfare. And there can be a Satan focus rather than a God focus. We're not to be demon Satan focused people. We're to be Godward. But as we're focused on God, we can't deny the reality that the devil is real and his demons are real. Some want to read too much in, by the way, to verse 13 when it speaks about the Prince of Persia and say that every single territory has a demon assigned to it. I'm not saying that that is not true. I'm simply saying that the Bible doesn't give us any more information about what some refer to as territorial spirits. And and so it's probably not profitable for us to seek to do warfare verbally but for, for the demons of Lake County or the demons of Leesburg. Likely there might be some assigned ones. Our job is to be Godward and to resist temptation, to be armed with Scripture. But that is where some get that interpretation from uh, verse 13. Also, another note about spiritual warfare is B. We must realize that God's power within is greater than any spiritual foe. Sometimes we get lied to by the enemy that there's no, that resistance is futile, so to speak. That we have to give in to sin. That we're going to be bullied and beaten and defeated by Satan and his cohorts. And that's simply not true if you know Christ. Because the scripture reminds us the greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. And then we're told in 1 John 5, 18 that the one born of God keeps us safe and that the enemy can't harm or touch us. Yes, we can be tempted, but when we know Christ in a personal way, the one within is greater than any spiritual foe we will ever do battle with. Now, in verse 15 through 19, there's uh, some hope here. While he was saying this to me, I bowed my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, another reference to the angel. With all the divine traits he had, he also looked recognizable as a human. He touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I'm helpless. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. That's probably not his favorite moment. But I want you to know it's a powerful moment where he can just become clean and say, you know what? I'm out of strength. How many of us are too proud to admit that? That I don't have any strength of my own. I'm totally depleted. I'm out. And we say that not just to our friend, not just to our spouse, not just to our siblings, but to the Lord. He said this in a spiritual way that I don't have anything left. I want you to know this morning... number five where it says he infuses us with the strength it says at the bottom bottom of number five it says if you're at the end of your own strength then god has you right where he 
wants you. Look at what it says in verse 18. Again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, O man, highly esteemed. There's, there's more of God's love reminding him. He said, peace, be strong now, be strong. It was though God picked him up. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. And in verse 20 through 21, and, and then verse 1, he basically describes, okay, I'm ready now to hear this vision. But I, I like how he is out of strength. He tells God he's out of strength, and then God just picks him up and lives his own life through him. And, and maybe you're there today. You know, you're like the church described in Revelation chapter 3, verse 8, where they were described as having, you have little strength, but you have not denied my name. Maybe you have a little strength today, but God has all the strength in the world. He has all the energy to help you say no to sin, to help you through the midst of your trials, not after they're over, but right in the middle of them. He has all the strength in the world to inspire you to do what you need to do to be obedient to him and live the life he has called you to live. Is God getting you ready this morning to hear from him? Maybe there's spiritual warfare raging around you that you've not been sensitive to. Maybe simply today that what God has been sort of zeroing in on you about is your own relationship with him. Maybe you know a lot of spiritual things, but you've never entered into a relationship with him. You've never placed your faith in Christ alone. Uh, there was a glorious night at the, at the end of a service uh, in a village just three days ago where we were in, in a village called Venti, and a, and a Muslim village chief and his assistant sat on the front row, and I preached about, through an interpreter, about the Philippian jailer, and how he said, what must I do to be saved? And the, Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. And, and, the, and the interpreter, the pastor, got up and said, you know, how many of you like to give your life to Christ? Where several kids raised their hands, he kind of said, all right, everybody put your hand down again. Do you really know what this is going, what this is about? And that village chief and his assistant, this Muslim village chief, raised his hand and said, I, I want to believe and I, I went over to the pastor after I said, Do you, what's going on there? He goes, well, I don't know. And I'm not sure if it was real. But if he comes back to services again, I'll know that he meant business. And so my hope is that he would continue life. Because he lives in a village that he's in charge of is 99.9% Muslim. And which is an incredible statement for him to come to a church service, for the first of all. And then to stand up and say, I want to follow Asa. Which is the Arabic word for Jesus, the prophet. Maybe you're here today and your confession is just as significant. You're ready to do business with God. You're ready to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's take a moment and bow together. And as we enter into a time of response, what will your response be to the living Lord today? Heavenly Father, we are humble as we think about your word. Lord, this vision that Daniel had is one that in some ways we're grateful that we didn't have to experience ourselves, but the results of what you did in his life are, are ones that we long for as well. So give us a deep respect for the holy today. Work your compassion for others and us. Touch us, Lord, with your love and ready us for spiritual warfare as you infuse us with your strength. So shall it 